Hello, I'm Michael Barr. And I'm Scott Soshnick. Over the next hour, we'll explore the big money issues in the world of sports and talk to some of the biggest players in the industry. Today, we are pleased to spend the hour with world champion Golden State Warriors forward Andre Iguodala, who talks about the growing popularity of basketball. The game is global. You know, I always say um, the sports are becoming more and more powerful because it's the last live left. We will have more of our interview with basketball star Andre Iguodala and his investments in technology companies in a few minutes. But first, let's look at the top stories of the week. Joining us is Bloomberg Business of Sports reporter Eben Novi williams Walt Disney, for our first story, plans to include a new online ESPN service next year that would broadcast more than 10,000 live sporting events for a monthly fee. We talked earlier this week with Disney CEO Bob Iger. We bought a third of BAMTech a year ago. We had an option to buy control four years hence. We've accelerated our purchase of control so that we could move into the space at a faster pace and a faster rate than we had initially anticipated because of the opportunity that we see in the marketplace. To Scott and Evan, Disney, welcome to the world of streaming. Yeah, the key from Iger there is acceleration. He said because of the opportunity. I like the way he phrased it, the opportunity. The necessity for ESPN to get some sort of OTT service because every quarter we're looking at those subscriber numbers. And guess what, Michael? They're not going up. And it's seven bucks a subscriber. They need to figure out a way to make up that revenue. This digital ESPN subscription service has been talked about for a while. It was originally supposed to launch this year. Earlier this week, they said that it's going to happen next year. That's going to be a huge litmus test for what sports media is going to look like in the future. And I'm We've like been talking yeah. about it for a while. Scott mentioned the subscriber losses. It's a real thing for ESPN. The big question is when they launch this thing, how many people are willing to pay for it? And what does the revenue look like? And what are they showing? That's what we're talking about every day. I mean, what are we going to see? Is it going to be darts? Is it going to be lawn bowling? Like this experiment they had, ESPN Ocho? Is it going to be trampoline dodgeball? I don't know. What is the content and how many people can you aggregate? Because as John Skipper, the president of ESPN, likes to say, you aggregate eyeballs, it's my job to figure out the way to monetize. For ESPN, as Scott's saying, you have this big t- tension between you don't want to cannibalize what you're offering to your ca- your cable news subscribers. So you don't want to cannibalize the, the sports that's on ESPN and ESPN2, but you don't want this digital subscription service to have as darts, uh, darts to have just sports that people aren't going to watch. So it's a very interesting k- kind of dynamic there. See, Evan's making fun of darts. I'm being told by people in the industry, darts actually might work. You could oh, actually yeah. get you could get a nice audience darts for darts. Darts is not going to save ESPN. Uh, no, no, but it might be one thing they can show that gets people to come and pay for this subscription service. One other thing on the on the BAMTech deal, this is also it's important for things other than sports. Disney is launching its own over-the-top service that's non-sports related for movies, etc., and BAMTech will be the back-end technology for that as well. They now, canceled the Netflix part. Let's add, let's add something here. The cable provider's like, hey, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. This was, ESPN was a big thing for us, but according to Bob Iger, yes, you, you, they were part of it, but we're trying to work something out so we're not totally dumping the cable providers. Michael Barr, $7 a month, and there are a whole lot of people. This is going to shock. Not good for us in what we do but who just don't care about sports. Another story we're watching, Tennessee Titans owners are said to be selling a third of the team. Yeah, we were first with this story, Michael. And apparently for the last year or so, there's been this this brouhaha between the league and the team because Bud Adams, who died quite a few years ago, 
He had two of his daughters had 33% of the team. Some other heirs shared 33%. So there was no, by percentage standard, nobody was the controlling owner. And there has to be one, according to NFL rules. So they've been battling the NFL with this. Now, I don't know if this solves that or not. The I don't team, think this helps. Yeah, the team maintains no. that they're, they're in compliance with the rules. So we'll see. What I find interesting in all this, and Evan and I got a good chuckle about it the other day when, when we found out about the story, is that what, what's happening here is one of the daughters is selling her piece of the team's parent company. So you're not just getting one-third of the Titans. If you want to buy her one-third stake in the parent company, you have, it's water in California, it's an auto, deal, auto dealership, Walnut Farm, real estate. You have to take it all. But we all know the gem in there is the one-third of the Tennessee Titans. Is it, though? I mean, we talk a lot about these minority stakes, and, and, and what exactly is an owner going to get when they're holding, holding a minority stake in an NFL team that has no path to ownership, which this one doesn't? In some ways, I, I wonder if, if the rest of, of the products, the, the, the properties inside this parent company might be even more enticing from a business and dollars and cents standpoint. Ooh, I don't know, because the valuation on this whole thing, you're going to pay $700 million just for the stake in the team, and you have to guess somebody buying $700 million stake of an NFL team has his or her eye on one day having the inside track to getting this team, even though right now ownership is saying there will be no change in control. Another story we are following, and I'm wondering why many other NFL teams have not done this sooner than now. The Patriots, they are buying two planes so the team can fly Come where on, they need on, to Michael, go. Michael, 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 they're way more creative than you. They're buying two <laughs> aircraft. Oh, I'm Get it? sorry. Get it? I'm sorry. The aircraft. Yuckety, yuckety. <laughs> I mean, but why is, why teams haven't done this before? Because they used to go through all this thing. Okay, we got to book this. We got to book this flight and that flight. And oh, my goodness. We got to do this. And then all of a sudden, there were problems that came up when the airlines cut back on charter flights. So why haven't teams done this earlier? Well, why haven't NFL teams? I'll say one thing, and then we're going to let Edmund explain why. They have in basketball, I mean, 1987, the Detroit Pistons had round ball one. First NBA team, yeah. but NBA and NFL is different, right? Yeah, the fact of the matter is that airline travel is booming right now. And for airlines that hold these planes, it's much more lucrative from a business dollars and cents standpoint to have them flying commercial flights. NFL teams want to fly out on Saturday morning. They want that plane to sit on the tarmac empty until Sunday night when they fly home. And that's 36 hours that an airline could keep that plane in rotation. And for, they'd rather do that than, than, than rent it out to an NFL team. Our thanks to Bloomberg Business of Sports reporter Evan Novi-Williams. Andre Iguodala is an important part of what many call basketball's next dynasty. The Golden State Warriors have won two of the past three NBA championships and are favored to win it all again this upcoming season. Yeah, but Andre is much more than a basketball, uh, basketball player, Michael. He's also a businessman. He plays near Silicon Valley. That has helped him become an investor in a number of of tech-related companies. Andre, thanks for joining us. And we hear you're a professional athlete, so everybody thinks that will define you. But it just seems like athletes these days are doing so much more. Do you get the sense that they want to be known as more than just jocks? Yeah, I think it's um, it's, it's, it's not just trying to prove to people that they are more than just athletes. It's just really getting into what they enjoy and what they've grown into outside of sports. You know, um, a lot of athletes are they devote a lot of their time to the sport, but they have, you know, outside interest. And, you know, we are in many seminars. We're taking uh, guys are going back to school, taking classes. So these guys are generally interested in, in, in finance and uh, business and interest and, and investments. 
And I think that stems from, you know, coming into wealth. And the majority of us never had the opportunity to learn about how to grow our wealth at a young age because we didn't have access to it. So uh, it's just about us, you know, maturing, growing up. And you see that uh, more and more um, as we move further along in time. And you see so much of what's happening in the history of athletes and, and, um, you know, and money. So guys are really excited to get the opportunity to do the right things going forward so um the, the athlete is being more business savvy than ever yeah and why is that though what has changed i get the sense that it's not only cool to show up with the cool car or the expensive watch i mean that stuff used to happen now it's cool to compare portfolios and who's on your speed dial you said like you can hang with warren buffett right uh definitely you know it's, it's not just you know it's kind of like how do you show people that you're an athlete? That was what it was at the beginning. You know, you know, what do I do to show people that, you know, I'm an NBA player or I'm an NFL player or I'm, or I'm a Major League Baseball player? You know, that was what it was in the early 2000s. Uh, when I first came into professional basketball, it was like you had to have the right car um, and you had to dress this way and you had to have this type of jewelry on and you had to show up at this type of club or... You know, you hang, had to hang around with this many people. You know, that's what it kind of was. And, and like I said, we've all matured and we've grown up, and you start to see, you know, there is life after uh, basketball, and what does that look like? So, you know, you mature. You start asking the right questions. Um, you seek out the right people to network with. Um, you make some mistakes along the way. Um, and you grow from those mistakes. And, and then eventually you start getting it right, and the next generation starts seeing that, and hopefully the next generation starts seeing that. So um, it's becoming this trend that, you know, you have to start doing the right things. There's a life after basketball, and, and it's better to wake up earlier than later. But waking up at all is is, um, is the right thing, and I feel like we're starting to get, see that more and more. You hit the nail on the head. Andre, you're one of the lucky ones, just like Stephen Curry, just like Ndamukong Sue in the NFL, where your business senses are growing, and this is what life is going to be like after basketball, after football, or after your sport. How do you push that message to the younger players, not just in the NBA, but all around? Well, I think it starts with, um, you know, putting – pulling them and putting them under your wing, you know, let them know, but letting them be themselves at the same time. You know, I have a lot of rookies who, you know, you can't throw all the information on them at the, all at once. You know, you have to let them come into their own. You have to let them, you know, bump their heads a little bit. It's almost like, you know, a newborn baby. You know, you tell them don't, don't touch the stove and what will they do? First thing they go do is touch the stove, you know, to get a sense of why don't, why shouldn't they do that? So for me, it's, <laughs> You know, having those conversations with the other veterans in the locker room, you know, asking those guys questions. You know, who's your financial advisor? You know, uh, what are your, what's your, you know, plans this year, your goals? What are your goals in five years? What are your goals in ten years? And then as the season continues to go on and you start, you know, having multiple years with these guys, you know, they start to get it, you know, so it's a gradual process, um, especially with this new uh, generation of players. But they're coming in smarter, so it's easier than ever. We are chatting with Andre Iguodala of the Golden State Warriors. Andre, you were talking about way back when, like the right car. What was the right car when you came in? What was the cool car to prove you're an NBA player? 
Just having a bunch, I think. No, I wouldn't say that. I think uh, <laughs> cars, yeah, multiple. Cars. A, lot of, a lot of guys, uh, a lot of guys had uh, Escalades and Range Rovers. Um, I think those still are the cars, though, because I mean, those are really the only cars that we can fit in. You know, there's a few. The S Class um, is a car a lot of guys can fit in. So I think what it what it, what it is we smarten up is you know we don't have that uh, we don't trade in cars as much anymore. You know. You know, I've had my car for four years, my S-Class. So uh, I wouldn't say more or less what type of car. It was just uh, how often you can keep up with the new one. So you don't see that anymore. You know, you see guys having their cars for a much longer uh, period than before. Who has taken the right route before you? Who's sort of the model you look to? Everybody points to Magic, Michael. I'm curious, who do you look at and say, that's what I want to be? Well, you definitely look at those two. Um, you look at the guys who have parlayed their success on the court into business and for me is you can't always look at the those guys because you know they're kind of you know the one in a billion you know there's only going to be one michael jordan you know one magic johnson and uh you have a few a few of those guys every generation you know you, you know like right now it's lebron james steph curry kevin durant you're going to have those guys those guys are always going to be good those guys are always going to have endorsements. Those guys are always going to have that following. They're always going to have the opportunity. So what I try, try to tell a lot of the guys is, you know, you search for those, you know, mid-tier guys. You know, those guys that aren't always at, aren't always at the top but still do a great job of converting what they've done on the court and making the right connections and networking with the right people and having a business after that. And I always looked at, uh, when I came into the league, you know, there's a guy, Aaron McKee and Kevin Ollie. And both are still in basketball, but the way they carried themselves, um, the way they spoke in interviews, um, just how professional they were on and off the court um, was it was important for me to see, you know, because they didn't they didn't walk like they were uh, an NBA player. Like they didn't have to have things that says I'm an NBA player. Like you know, they were very subtle um, and. and they went about everything like it was a business, even when the, the way they approached practice, getting there early, preparation, all those things. So um, that was real good for me to see coming in early and I had the right veterans that I could look up to. Andre, remember the old adage, athletes want to be rock stars and rock stars want to be athletes? Well, you want to hang around rock stars, but you want the rock stars of venture capital and tech. I'm going to be coming out to San Francisco next week to hang with you and Steph Curry uh, you have put together a conference full of VCs, tech, and athletes. What is it about, and what are you hoping to accomplish? Yes, it's a, it's a Players Tech Summit, and uh, it's an opportunity for us to show both sides, the tech side and, and the sports world, um, how the two are continuing to merge together. You know, we're much closer aligned than the two think, and it's to position both sides to come together and explore all the opportunities, you know, to let the tech side know, you know, how athletes think, and then the athletes to show them how the tech world works. And we're going to different topics and subjects and show how the two um, have already come together and then what the future looks like. So it's a huge education piece, but at the same time, there's a lot of business that will be discussed. You um, go from anything from, you know, talking about tech and tech world, how it's involved with wearables in the sports world. You also talk about content, talk about media, and how the two influence each other as well. So it's going to be uh, two whole days. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of excitement. We have different athletes 
from all different sports, and that's something we aim for, uh, not just basketball, but you know all the sports. And then also, um, we have Black Girls Code coming, which I'm really excited for, and showing that diversity and that we'll have a lot of women involved. We have some women's athletes as well, and you know this is just the beginning, and we're going to continue to grow every year from there. What I'm fascinated with is you could commingle with any brand in sport. It could be ESPN, Sports Illustrated. We know the biggies. However, your folks called me because they wanted Bloomberg involved. I'm used to athletes. I mean, I'm used to the owners seeking out Bloomberg for their world. But this is something that athletes are recognizing. There's more to it than just the games on the court. Yes, I think this is, was perfect uh, partnership for us. Um, this is, you know, was our first choice. They said, who can we involve ourselves and align ourselves with? Who has the, uh, you know, we feel like we have the most influence uh, for the athletes to come to for the tech scene. You know, who do we, who has the most influence on the business side? Um, and we saw Bloomberg as the, the perfect match, you know, with how he releases his content. And I've learned, I learned so much. Uh, from Bloomberg, just following the different outlets on social media, and that's where I get my news from, and um, just the history behind it. You know, I was able to take a tour of the offices in New York and see the, the you know, the history of where Bloomberg came from, and, and that was even a learning experience in itself, and, and the grasp it has on uh, the business world. So it, it was a perfect marriage for us, and we were just, you know, really happy to be aligned with them. That would be at Soshnik on Twitter, and I saw you stuff a whole bunch of snacks while you were here on your visit at the office. I saw you do that in your backpack. My, my, my co-host here, Michael Barr, still not on Twitter. I know. I have to get on Twitter. I know. I, I, I'm still old school. I'm thinking of the cars you're talking about. I, I had a Pinto. That was my first car I ever had. That's how, anyway, that's, that's here nor there. But, but you mentioned something about diversity, and that's uh, if we can expand on that. Uh, can you tell us more about the need for diversity in entrepreneurship? Yes, that's been a, a huge topic um, as of recent, um, especially with uh, the political climate uh, our country is going through right now. I think it's very important for us to continue to come together instead of separating, um, especially in the tech world. You don't see as many women. But I, I feel like we're starting to get there. We're not as, I don't think we're moving as fast as we would like, but... Um, I think the most important thing is for the, the, the issue to be raised and seek out how we can fix the issue. Um, but I feel like it's the tech world, and, you know, we, we fix so many problems and we um, make so many different markets more efficient and we disrupt so many things that it's a very solvable problem. Andre, can you share with us your investment portfolio? My most recent uh, investment was in a company called Cheddar. And, um, now, what's that, if I may ask? Cheddar is a, uh, is a content-producing um, startup, and we kind of think of it as like the, you know, the new age uh, business place for everyone to go. And a lot of their content is uh, shot right up there at the, um, well, some the, at the New York Stock Exchange, at, right? At the Wall Street, at the yeah. Stock Exchange, yes, yeah. on Wall Street. Yes, um, Cheddar is shot at the Stock Exchange, and... Um, I was really intrigued by what they were trying to do because it's kind of how I got started in the tech world. You know, I got started in the tech world with my business partner. We started with the E-Trade account, you know, and I was able to go to Stock Exchange to see how everything worked. And I started with stocks, and then it just got deeper and deeper. So for me, it was, um, I felt like I, you know, was right at home with how I started. I've always been um, 
curious of how content and media has worked. That's in another area in tech that my business partner and I are really diving into. Um, we have something called the Freetown Project, where we will be producing our own content. Uh, Cheddar will be that place where we release that content. <clears throat> so it was a perfect marriage there for us as well. I don't want to make this about LeBron James, but you face him on the court, your opponents. Seems as if you uh, you could be competitors in this space as well. Uh, he's got a production company. He understands content. He's looking at distribution. I see an Iguodala versus James one on one game here. Um, that wasn't that wasn't the thought, but you know you can see that coming along. Uh, you know I'm not quite there where he is yet, but that is the plan. We are chatting with Andre Iguodala of the Golden State Warriors. And Andre, how much of that do you think is sort of self-fulfilling prophecy? I mean, if Mark Cuban invests in a company and then later says it's great or it's terrible, the stock market will move based on what he says about something. I think it's the same about LeBron. If he shows up coming off the airplane with the Olympic team with Beats by Dre over his ears, that is about the best endorsement I could think of and one of the major reasons that was such a hot seller. Yes, and that goes back to... The influence the athletes have in the tech world. You know, you see, I consider Beats a tech company before it was bought by Apple just because of the influence it had, the disruption that it had on the whole music industry. And you made a, a tech product, a part of a wardrobe. And, and that's the some of the beginning stages of making something um, that these millennials will buy into and tap into and make a part of their daily lives. It was when a USA team comes off the airplane and those headphones look like it's a part of their wardrobe. And then now you see what it's grown into and having a $3 billion deal with Apple. You just shows the influence of athletes as well. Well, here comes that goofy question from the media. How's your golf game? Because you are a very passionate golfer. The golf game is good. Um, I finally broke 80 this last week. So uh, I don't know how I'm feeling right now because I'm taking a break from, from golf. It's kind of like you're chasing that thing, that girl that you like your freshman year of high school and you finally get her your senior year of college. So you're kind of exhausted. You put all that work in and, and it finally happened. But uh, for me, triple know, I was book. on a high that <laughs> yeah, I was, I was on a, I was on a high that day. So uh, feeling feeling good about my golf game. So what's a better one-on-one game, you versus LeBron in the business world, or you versus Steph on the links? Because I know he can shoot as well. They're two different. Uh, I think. Uh, Long term, the business world, but short term, I can I can never beat Steph in golf. So you know, I'll just get it up right now. I won't. It won't even happen. He's too good. He played. He played in a professional tournament last weekend. Did a lot better than people expected. He actually competed with those guys. So that was fun to see too. And it's kind of, it's kind of in awe that he can actually compete with those guys. Seeing that he never practices and he has a full time day job. If you're talking about atmosphere in sports, though, you're going to have a new arena coming to downtown San Francisco. You've got a winning franchise that has sort of redefined what basketball is all about. And as you know, Andre, much of the success for individual players off the court is predicated on winning that winning brand. You know, your brand is associated with how the team does. Uh, You're in line for another possible championship. I mean, everybody's talking 2-3. Do you look that far ahead? But this team can certainly do some special things. I think we we try to take it day by day. Um, and, and that's the key, you know, not, not looking too far ahead. We understand there's a whole process. And like right now, we're trying to just enjoy what we accomplished last year. Most of the guys are back in the gym, getting back to work, getting ready to go. Um, so you just try to take it day by day. You know, we were in a position where we were trying to compete to win back-to-back. 
and we didn't succeed. So we learned from that whole situation. So I feel like we know how to plan a little bit better and not look too far ahead. Can you tell me who sits courtside when you look around at Oracle and say, ooh, I need to meet with that person, I need to meet with that person, and it has nothing to do with basketball. It's all about this portfolio building you're looking at. Uh, when you're on the court, you're pretty much just locked in to the court. But you, you see a few here and there. You have a lot of good guests and people that, uh, visitors that come to the game. Um, some of the guys that I see, I see Eddie Q a lot. Eddie Q from Apple. And uh, I've, learned, I've grown to learn uh, a lot from him and be able to pick his brain uh, once or twice. So he's my guy I see at the game that uh, I enjoy seeing him more. I see uh, Vivek. Uh, the Kings owner a lot at our games. I feel like he's trying to steal some of our mojo, which is smart. I would do the same thing. Uh, <laughs> he needs you know, some of it. <laughs> through, through a, no, through a couple of uh, free agencies, uh, I've been able to pick his brain, and uh, I think he's a good guy. They're heading in the right direction. They just had an amazing draft. They picked some uh, great players, and uh, they got the right veterans around those guys as well. So I think he's, you know, he's, you know, the more and more experience he's getting in sports, the you know, he, he's successful for a reason, so he'll he'll be successful in basketball as well. All right, and lastly for you, you said you're getting into the content game. You're going to be have to you do our job here. You're going to be the one asking the questions. Give me your sort of home run A-list from VC, sports, and tech that you would like to interview. Whoa, that's a really good question. I would interview uh, Robert Smith is who I would interview. And um, I wouldn't say VC. I wouldn't say he's a VC but he gets it. And uh I'll take Zuckerberg. <laughs> Zuckerberg. Um you know what I think would be fun? It would be very interesting is Elon Musk. I knew you were going to yeah. say that. Cuz he's kind of like the Kanye of the world. You never know which way the interview's going to go. It might he might go on a rant or it's something interesting's going to come up and something that is going to uh Twitter world will be going crazy for a while. Uh, after that interview, so uh, that would be really exciting. Yeah, and you you would replace your S class with a brand new Tesla. Yeah, um, that is come becoming a, a car that a lot of the guys on our team have. We have about four, I think now, four or five. Uh, Kirk Lakeup has one too, so we're seeing that more and more. All right, that's Andre Iguodala, Golden State Warriors tech investor, entrepreneur. Am I leaving anything out, Andre? Um, no, I think you got it all. All right, well, thanks for taking some minutes. We do appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Andre. Takeaways from this interview, my goodness. I think about Andre Iguodala. I think about many other athletes in Domicon Sioux and many other athletes involved who are very smart entrepreneurs and who have the capital now to really, for lack of a better term and hyperbole, change the world when it comes to business. Yeah, for me, it's that the, the, the athletes today are so much more cognizant that yes, they have an $8 million contract, $10 million contract, that there's another level, there's another strata out there. They're looking at owners and they understand how to build on what they have to get even more, that they want to be the guys who own the team. It's not good enough to have a nice house and a nice car, as Andre said, or three or four cars. They want to have ownership of whatever they're doing. And that has changed a lot with athletes these days. And diversity in ownership also. That's Absolutely, another thing I yeah. picked up from Andre. 
My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since a kid. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. Time now for the number of the week, and it is number two. I thought you were going to do it in some grand, you know. Number now two. Batting, now batting, number two. Yes, not only does Derek Jeter or did Derek Jeter wear number two for the Yankees, but we are at long last, and this has been a painstaking process for everybody involved, we are down to two bidders from the Miami Marlins. Derek Jeter in one group and Jorge Mas, a businessman in Miami, the other. Numbers are around the same. We're around that between 1-1 and 1-2. Now we're waiting for Jeff Loria to make a decision. Speaking of numbers, and this is just some trivia thing, wasn't Derek Jeter the last single-digit number to be retired for the New York Yankees? He was. He was. It's hard. You know, when you join the Yankees, it's hard to pick a number because so many are retired. But you know what asking? You know what people are asking? And I'm gonna, you're going to like what I'm going to do here. You know what people are asking inside of baseball, some of the bankers involved? They're asking, are they paying too much for this franchise that is losing money that will have to support losses for several years is there enough capital in either of these groups to sustain this team to invest in the team because that has not been the case under jeff loria the fans want an owner that can put some money back in and if you spend it all to buy it there's none left over speaking of us being together See what I did? Well well done. Yeah, thank you. You've been listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports. We are here each and every week at the same time exploring the world of money and sports. I'm Michael Barr. And I'm Scott Soshnick. Thanks for joining us, and please tune in next week when we continue our discussions with the biggest and brightest in the world of sports.